This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Blake Engelhardt, what a highly analytical and curious 20-something. Blake is the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Brush on Smile, the teeth whitening company that aims to empower people to smile from the inside out. He's a technologist, screenwriter, positive psychology enthusiast, and also the founder of the social app Nectar. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Blake in New York City and learning of his journey and his story to becoming a 20-something-year-old entrepreneur. Take a listen. Blake, welcome to The Peers Project. Thank you so much, Michelle. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for yeah, taking the time to join us and coming, coming from Philly. Definitely. Um, so, you know, you reached out to us when you heard about us through the next-gen community here in the States. And the first thing that struck me about you when I um, looked into you and looked you up on LinkedIn, actually, um, was your LinkedIn title. So, you know, most people say, you know, CEO or manager of insert company name here. Um, but yours reads technologist, entrepreneur, screenwriter, and positive psychology enthusiast. Wow. So, you know, obviously, um, I can't not ask about the last part. So before we get into your work, I'm curious to know where this mentality of being a positive psychology, psychology enthusiast comes from and how it's impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far. Sure. Um, so I started getting really into uh, reading a lot of different types of books when I was in college. I was at undergrad at University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Um, near where I'm living now. And while I was there, I, um, I ended up picking up a few really interesting books around, I think it started with Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, which is almost like a really, uh, like a self-help book more than anything. Um, you know, he goes through a lot of, you know, interesting things about how he really worked on himself and built up his character. And then I came across a few books, um, one in particular by a professor named Adam Grant at University of Pennsylvania called Give and Take. Um, And this book was all about how uh, by giving to others, you feel happier. Uh, But more than that, you you also succeed at a number of things. So whether it's, um, you know, staying out of jail, making more money, uh, having better relationships in your life, feeling like you have more meaning, giving to others is really the the main way with which to reach that. Um, and it's one of the main vehicles with which uh, you can come by you know, positive psychology. So that kind of led um, almost a personal exploration and, and revamping of you know, what really is my objective in, in life and you know, what am I really doing here and what am I trying to do. Um, so you know, that, I, I've, I've since then read a number of positive psychology books, have done you know, an interesting personal exploration into um, what I would call almost like life philosophy. Um, uh, looking at a lot of different uh, angles of how you can think about that. Um, and, and then, you know, now I continue to read a lot of positive psychology books and other books that provide uh, really, really similar things. Wow. That's very interesting. So talk to us a bit about what you discovered. So about yourself, you know, why are you here? What is your purpose? Massive questions, I know. Sure. Massive questions. <laughs> Um, when I was a senior in college, now I'm, uh, 
maybe this was three, three and a half years ago, uh, I wrote a, for one of my classes, we had, it was a really, really cool class at Penn called Literature of Success taught by uh, Professor Richard Schell. And he's also the professor that created the negotiations program at Penn. Before this, when he was about 37, he was, a, he was being asked to become a monk at a monastery. Very interesting person, uh, very peculiar transition, but kind of ties it all together with his literature of success class, uh, where he really, you know, implores students to ask the question, um, and you actually have to write a research paper on it, and not just personal opinion, but it has to be documented research, bibliography, the whole work um, around, you know, what does my, uh, you know, this year version of success look like, right? So what is my, at the time it was, what is my 2015 version of success look like, and how am I going to achieve that? Um, so that was a really, really cool project. At the same time, I had started being really interested in a number of things. I had, uh, before that, I had run a startup, um, which was, I had left and, you know, left me with a lot of interesting questions after leaving and, you know, kind of still being involved, but not as much, um, you know, makes you kind of question a lot of things about, you know, why, why did I want to do that? Why do I not want to do that now? All those types of things. Um, and I was also at the time, uh, you know, doing a lot of theater in college. So I was directing a play at the time. Um, and while I was doing that, I, you know, was exploring kind of, you know, what, what is, you know, really the, uh, the objective to why I'm living, why am I doing this right now? And I was really think, giving a lot of thought to that. Um, as a lot of you know, college students will philosophize, um, but I wanted it to be a little bit more concrete, especially since I you know had this great research assignment. Uh, so I ended up writing around a twenty-page paper on um, you know really like research-based what does success look like to me, um, and my exploration ended up going down a few paths. So um, I kind of marked out the the. And, and this is very simplified version of the world, but I kind of simplified it down to there are four life philosophies that are, you know, and there are other ones outside of this, but that I really wanted to look into. And those four were uh, asceticism. Um, then there was, you know, this concept of pursuit of happiness that we have in America, which is, um, you know, as a, from a research standpoint, I defined as positive psychology. Um, then there was um, nihilism, which is kind of this idea of, um, you know, nothing really matters, just whatever, right? Just do whatever you want. Mm. Um, and then the last one was this kind of like weird idea of religion that to me growing up, I had a lot of value-based system in my life. I, I grew up to a, a Jewish family and um, it was a very value-based system and really loving family, unbelievable family. Um, I mean, we wouldn't con have considered ourselves very religious, but you know, we were definitely Jewish. We definitely had that identity. So, you know, when I had been in Hebrew school, I kind of felt like I had defeated that one. Um, and so I really went through these um, and I ended up getting really, really into positive psychology. Um, I thought that that was really interesting. Um, you know, uh, asceticism and nihilism, there were a few things about them that didn't resonate in particular, um, especially you know, just personally with my, my own personal experiences and, and some different things that, you know, I believe about the, the world and, and the beauty of it. And so um, positive psychology, like, really spoke to me. I started doing a deep dive into that. And at the same time, I happened to start learning with um, some rabbis at Penn. Wow. So that I had just, through working on directing this play that I had mentioned, um, I had talked to one of them. He summarized the entire play in three Hebrew words, and I was astonished because it took me about five minutes to explain what it was about. And so I said, okay, I want to learn what that is. And so we sat down and learned. And so at the same time, I was kind of, you know, dual diving into Judaism as well as into positive psychology. And, you know, I started asking these, um, you know, religious rabbis, you know, you know, it's, it seems like you guys think that you have the meaning of life figured out. You know, what do you what do you think it is, right? And I started asking a lot of people this question, um, and you know, they had a really really clear answer for that, and it matched almost exactly with the things that I was finding in positive psychology. Um, so you know, it was really around this concept of that the purpose of life is to give, and so you know, what does it mean to give, right? Um, and so since then, I, I actually 
did a deep dive into that. You know, I'm, I'm very, uh, analytical person. So, mm, you know, tell. started very analytical person. So I started looking into a number of other religions and kind of looking towards the, you know, the credibility of these stories. Um, and, you know, really trying to understand, you know, what makes one religion more credible than another. Right. Uh, because, you know, if it's one person's word against another person's word, you know, who's to say who's smarter or better. Right. Um, just because I grew up a certain way here in America and another person grew up a different way in Africa or the Middle East, you know, just because I think they're wrong and they think I'm wrong, you know, that's really subjective, right? So trying to figure out if there really was this concept of an objective morality, you know, some higher being present um, and, you know, really went down that rabbit hole a lot. And uh, it's been really interesting. Wow. It sounds very interesting and I'm interested to hear more about it so I guess what comes from that for me is firstly talking to religious leaders like the rabbis and you said their definition you said they had three words to describe the play that you Mm -hmm. were um, you were directing what did that teach you about you know I guess simplicity in life or just in life not being as difficult and as hard as we all believe it to be what did you know the rabbi saying that teach you so i don't know if it speaks towards the the difficulties of life Mm. but i think like you said it does really speak to simplicity i I, um i over the past couple months i heard someone uh say this actually was it was another rabbi that i had heard say this um and giving a speech and um what he said that i thought was really really interesting around simplicity is um, he was talking about one of the you know stories in the Old Testament in the Torah, and um, and how you know when there is a bunch of different people that are saying a bunch of different things about one story, it's really hard for people to grasp onto it. Um, and this is really similar to marketing, uh, which is what I spend a lot of my time on now. Um, you know, if you're telling a bunch of different stories, if there's a bunch of different pieces, if, if, and if it's not all cohesive, really hard for people to grasp onto that. And so what he said that I thought was really interesting was um, he said this line that I really resonates and I really share it with my team often when we're trying to craft ideas, which was, uh, you can never blow a nuanced horn. It just doesn't work. Let's repeat that again for everyone. You can never blow a nuanced horn. So if you're trying to blast a message out there, if you want to, you know, blow the horn, you know, in the olden days they used to um, blow, you know, shofars was the, the Jewish custom and a lot of other religions had similar things in order to tell the people what time of the month was or what, you know, religious ritual was going on. There's no such thing as a nuanced horn. There's just one tone. And that's, that's the way to get a message across. Jeez. Wow. That is phenomenal advice. So talk to me about how you took that advice in and, and, you know, used it in, I want to go into your early experiences, but let's talk about, um, how you used it, yeah, in maybe one of your earlier experiences in marketing. How did you harness that in your, I, perhaps it was an internship role, I'm just trying to have a look through. Um, Chief Revenue Officer. No, that was the first startup, startup you were involved in. Give me an example yeah. of one of the marketing roles you've had and how did sure. you use it? So, um, you know, the, the, the first startup that I really, you know, felt like I was running that I had, you know, some equity in and was really, you know, felt like a stake in at the time at least. Um, and, you know, still do. I mean, my, my best friend runs the company and I'm, you know, hoping for a success every day. It's really, really beautiful to watch him build something so, you know, so just grand. Um, but, you know, when we first started off, we were, it was this company called Glassview. Mm, um, yeah. It's now called New. And so I was running the revenue side of the business. Um, and, you know, there are, I mean, he, he has now been running that company for maybe five years, wow. six years, has, has grown the business into having around 20 employees. He's been 30 under 30 on Forbes. Wow. Um, they actually just did a day in the life video of him in Philly, which was absolutely hilarious. And, um, you know, hopefully he's not listening right now, but we, we made a lot of spoof videos and a lot of really funny things as you have to do with your friends when, you know, there are hilarious, you know, national videos going around about you. Of course. Uh, of course. So, you know, uh, he, and so the two of us, you know, in the beginning, you know, he had done, started a number of other businesses before this. Um, 
in high school, I had started, you know, a nonprofit and had done some startup programs, but, you know, never really to the scale that we were really going for at that time. And, um, you know, we had a lot of things to learn. That's to say the least. Um, and so this concept of, you know, blowing a nuanced horn, I, if, if, if we had known that, I don't think we would have understood it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we did, we, we made a lot of really interesting mistakes that I'm sure a lot of people, you know, make. Mm. Um, I've, I've, I've made some of them again. Yeah, and and some of them, some of them probably a third time, and um, hopefully, hopefully that'll be it for some of those mistakes. Um, but you know, it's that's it, really what's what I love about the entrepreneurial process. Um, I've I've worked in consulting, working for a big company. Um, you know, I and I've, I've had that those kind of experiences working for more corporate America, and I have a lot of friends that are working in banking and finance and consulting, and you know what's really, really interesting about the entrepreneurial world is the ability to really learn and just throw yourself into the deep end of something where you have a chance to drown. But that also means that you have a chance to learn how to swim. And I think that's really remarkable and really unique in, you know, a world where failure is, is, you know, not the best thing for a lot of companies. That's very true. Wow. So I want to go a bit deeper into what those mistakes were that you mentioned, the ones that you made over and over again, and that you're hoping that it's the end. What were some of those mistakes? So with, with, with Glassview in particular, the one that comes to mind really is um, what I would say is just you know, not having as much of a, of a purpose behind some of the things that we did. Um, and the main one that I think of when I think of this is, uh, we hired 11 interns, uh, after this was after our sophomore year of college, we were running this company. It was coming up on maybe a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. And a lot of people wanted to get involved. And so we just kept saying yes. And so we ended up that summer um, with uh, we like we we had um, one of the the Jewish buildings on campus. Uh, we knew uh, one of the the people that that was running it, the Hillel at Penn. And so we ended up having like an entire floor of this giant building that which was way too much, even with our crazy number of interns. And we were like, we have the space, like, let's just take everyone. And, and you know, it wasn't, it was a little more selective than that, but it really like still today feels like we just took everyone that was coming. Um, and we ended up with a lot of, you know, just people that, you know, it wasn't necessary to have, have in the kitchen. Right. Um, and so, you know, that balance of getting things done on your own and, you know, having other people come in to help you um, is something that, you know, I think is a really difficult balance to strike. Um, I've advised some other companies that recently actually have been having the same question of, you know, there's these people that are really interested in my project. You know, that's great. Um, but should you add them on? It depends on what you want, Right. Uh, and I think, especially as a first time entrepreneur, um, and even for me and, you know, as my, on my second venture or even, you know, even now, uh, I think this is something that people struggle with is, you know, trying to have the humility with which to say, we're small, we're a small company and that's okay. Right. Um, to be one person, you know, really focused on getting a lot done for a business I think is a lot better than being one person focused on trying to make sure that other people are kind of working. So how have you harnessed that and used now what you know in one of your current ventures? Um, so right now I'm working and, and really focusing on a company called Brush on Smile, which is a teeth whitening company that is all about you know, helping people to smile from the inside and out. That's, that's really what we're focused on. Um, and so our team right now is, you know, 
we're, we're taking a, a business that, um, you know, my, my mother actually created the product cool enough and we're taking this business that she's been selling B2B and really bringing it direct to consumer. And so the, the team that has been doing that, um, you know, we have some different consulting and advising, especially from my, my mom, who's been running the business for a number of years. Um, but the team that's really doing that is myself and an intern. Um, an amazing intern at that. Uh, her name is Sarah. She's absolutely fantastic. Very impressive. Um, but you know, we could have easily gotten a lot more people very cheap, but I'd rather have, you know, one person where we can coordinate and really, you know, make sure that we're getting the things done and make sure that, you know, I have the time to spend on the things that I already probably don't have the time on because there's so many things rather than spending more of my time managing a lot of people just because, you know, when somebody asks, it's a lot more fun to say, well, we're a team of five, right? Or we were a team of, you know, when we were hired 11 interns, we were a team of 13. <laughs> That's really cool. I really like that. And I think that, I mean, I'm learning from this and I think that we can all take away from this. I think you're right. I think at times we can get caught up in what we want it to sound like or be like. Um, but at the core of it, I think it does come down to you and, you know, who's going to be there to support you. So talk to me more about Brush on Smile. So it's obviously your mum's company um, that you've obviously gone very involved in. What sh- what's the progress been like? What what have been the early struggles that you've faced, you know, going into it and not having started it yourself? Yet? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, I, I think something that I was really surprised by is how fun it is to work on a family business. It's not sexy, I don't think. Um, uh, you know, it, it it's a, a, at times it's a little strange, you know, like we were talking about before, like what it sounds like um, to say, yeah, I work in a family business, right? Um you know, kind of sometimes feels like, you know, you're uh, very, you know, privileged to hand me down, which, you know, it, it is absolutely, I'm so unbelievably lucky, lucky. I mean, just to be born in this country, there was what, a 2% chance of that. And the, the opportunity that has been provided because of that, the education that I've been able to, to get, I mean, I had a friend tell me this, but, you know, I think it's it's as true for me as it as it is for him. Um, you know, really, like it makes sense for someone to pick up a quarter and scratch my belly because I'm, I'm the luckiest person alive. Really? Um, you know, I, I have an amazing family that really supports me uh, in whatever I'm doing. Um, and and so when, you know, my mom was, you know, kind of wanted to take a little bit of a step back with her business. Um, and, you know, I had some ideas at the same time around, you know, where I thought it could go. Um, you know, it really worked out well for both of us. And, you know, it's really, you know, fun to get to, you know, brainstorm with her and, you know, have, have my dad jump into calls and have him involved as well. And, um, you know, so that's really fun. Uh, where we've kind of gone with that is essentially we, you know, I started off just looking at her business, trying to, you know, I, I'm, I have, have a bit of a tech background. So I was looking at her business and saying, wow, you know, you should probably get in touch with your customers more, you know, have more of a conversation with them. There's a lot of technology that'll make that easy. And I started, you know, implementing that and um, realized that, you know, a lot, she was doing all wholesale sales, you know, to dentists and pharmacies. And she still is. And, you know, it's a remarkable product. It's, it sells really well at a lot of dental offices. Um, but what I found recently is that some of the dental offices don't want her product in it because it's taking away from their higher and more expensive teeth whitening sales, which is an amazing thing to say about our product and how good it is. But for the dentists, it, you know, some of them, it's not as good. Other ones, they're finding that it's selling really well and, you know, people are using it for touch-ups and things like that. Um, and they're still getting to sell their, you know, really high-end teeth whitening. But our product really is that good, which is just unbelievable for my mother to say that she's the one that created it. It's really remarkable. Um, so, you know, from there, you know, kind of looking at that, um, it, it made a lot of sense and made it really interesting to look into this direct to consumer channel, similar to, you know, if you know, a company like dollar shave club, that's, you know, really a, you know, one of the pioneers in terms of viral marketing and, you know, really focusing at, you know, subscription models and, uh, you know, direct to consumer business. So, um, kind of looking at you know those types of models and a lot of similar companies. Brooklinen is another example that comes to mind of a really good online business um, that's direct to consumer. 
we started, you know, putting together what it would look like if we, you know, started adding that as a focus in the business. Um, and so, you know, that's that's really been my role is, uh, you know, myself and and Sarah, really, you know, coming together to to map out, you know, what does this look like, and how can we really, you know, navigate and know, you know, what should our website look like. What does our brand look like? What do we talk about? You know, if we're going to be in social impact space, what should we be donating to, right? If we're going to redesign our packaging, what should it look like? And um, you can answer a lot of these questions um, with, well, I have an idea. Let me do that. Um, But there's a million ideas out there. And, uh, you know, something that I think has been an amazing lesson along the, the entrepreneur journey is, Um, it doesn't really matter who has the idea. It matters which one's right. And the more ideas you have, the better, because only one of them needs to be right. How do you synthesize your ideas and how do you pick which is the right one? So um, for us, we really use uh, what, you know, is similar to a lean startup model. So the lean startup is really focused around product development. Um, You know, let's, you know, take... Uh, a few different features. Let's go ahead and, you know, send those different features out to people, see how they interact with them. And, you know, from there we can decide, did the first feature we sent work better than the second one? Did the second one work better than the third one, et cetera? Um, And we take that and apply that to uh, gaining traction for our product. So, um, for instance, I just, I'm, I'm in New York right now because I just got done with a photo shoot yesterday where we were really trying to, you know, be playful and figure out what does our brand look like? And so we, we actually took in one photo shoot, four different styles of shots where it really looks like they're in completely different places. The models are wearing completely different clothes. Um, I mean, our, our stylist, uh, Hannah Escott, uh, her, her company's called by Escott. She was our stylist for the shoot and she, I mean, it was remarkable. She was able to really bring together in one five hour shoot, uh, a number of outfits and, and different things that really made, uh, made it so that we have a lot of different looks. And so now we can take those different looks and, you know, test them. So instead of saying, well, I think that this is the brand that, you know, kind of looks like GQ, kind of like, you know, a lot of people after work, those type of folks using this product. Let's go ahead and take as many of ideas as we have time for, right? And let's test out, you know, what that really looks like. And so essentially the very specific process of how that works is, um, you know, unless you have some you know, higher end technology for A-B testing, what you can do on a small scale, if you're a smaller company, or, you know, if you want to do less technical development, is you can just, you know, if you have a Shopify site, you can one week put a set of photos that are one look or one concept for your brand, and then you can simultaneously run Facebook advertisements in order to figure out okay, for this brand, we're getting this many clicks and this many views of the website. We're also getting this many sales. And so we can really see that specific look gets us this many sales, right? And then we can go ahead the next week, put a completely different set of looks onto the website and run on you know Facebook ads, the same images and notice this look gets us you know, a different number of sales. And, and simultaneously, we're running Google ads in order to get people coming from Google to see if you know, that generic traffic that doesn't you know, come knowing what photos they're going to be looking at, um, if they're interested in what they're seeing when they get there as well. Wow. Okay. So I want to go a bit further into that. I'm just actually personally very interested in the, what you're talking about. So let's just say you did, um, you ran one set of photos. Sure. And then the next way you ran, you ran another, which is what you just said. My only confusion here mm-hmm. is, isn't, aren't you portraying to the world your one thing and then your another thing? Like, how do you ensure that it's still consistent? Definitely. So, you know, I think that's something that's very nerve wracking about mm. testing, um, especially if you're, if you're a technical product. So, um, you know, if you're building an app or something like that, you know, a lot of people don't want to put their app out until it's full because, you know, people are going to see it, right? And they're going to think that's what you did, mm. right? 
Um, but I personally don't think that's the right approach. Um, what, what I think is that, you know, if you're going to be successful, you're going to be successful over the long run. So, you know, if you have, you know, your website up and maybe one week might be too short for your product, whatever it may be. Um, but you know, it's really, you know, it depends for statistical significance. It matter it matters more about how many people are coming to the site than, you know, really the length of, of time. Maybe you want to stretch it over a week just because there's kind of a cycle in a week. Uh, maybe you want to stretch it over longer, depending whether your business is more cyclical, but um, essentially what you're doing is this concept called micro testing where for us, for the teeth whitening, you know, market, it's a $1.4 billion market. There's a lot of people that are whitening their teeth. Um, and for good reason, right? You know, we're drinking coffee all the time more than ever, right? Uh, we're drinking red wine, like crazy. I mean, you know, people, luck, luckily people are smoking a little less, right? That's one thing that affects your teeth that is, is terrible. But, you know, luckily, you know, we are smoking a little bit less in America. Um, but, you know, people's teeth, you know, they're staining their teeth constantly. So it makes sense that a lot of people are whitening their teeth. And so why that plays well for this, you know, strategy of, you know, let's really like you know, hone down and let the numbers tell us what works best is that what it allows us to do is take a really, really small, you know, micro piece of the market, right? And we can look at that small piece of the market and say, you know, those people saw our website only this week, right? They were new users this week. And throughout that week, they were presented with ads. And did they buy, right? Now, for, for a teeth whitening product, typically people will buy within a week of, you know, starting to search for the product. That's, you know, pretty typical. Um, you know, for, if it was really expensive artwork, it might take three to six months, right? So it's just a, a different, you know, cycle time. Um, but because it's such a small part of the market that we're able to see over the course of a cycle of, you know, will somebody buy the teeth whitening, it's okay that the next week we have other new users that aren't those people that we're tracking to see whether they buy the product, right? And so, okay, there's going to be a few people that see our brand and are like, hey, those are different photos, right? But, you know, for, for the long term of, you know, really trying to set up, you know, what exactly do we want to look at? What does our vision look like before, you know, spending a lot of money and wasting a lot of time? Um, you know, it's a lot better to, you know, try and figure out what you want and figure out what that vision is in the beginning. Um, you know, the, the classic quote is the, the George Washington um, concept of you got to, you know, sharpen the axe before you cut down the cherry tree, right? You know, you got to spend a significant portion of the time sharpening the axe and, you know, then the, it'll be a lot easier to cut the cherry tree down. It's very true. It's very true. So I want to get into a bit about your um, management consulting stint at Essentia. So I found it really interesting that your comment earlier about, um, you know, you, ha you have, you've, you've got your mates working at banks and you've worked in consulting and just the drive and kind of, um, you know, ability to do what you have to do in your own company is just a lot stronger, I guess. Um, so talk to me a bit about your time there. Um, I guess what you learned about the corporate world in general um, and, yeah, and then how, how that kind of is perhaps opposite or different to working in a startup. Sure. So just to start off, I have the utmost respect for the people that I worked with at Accenture and to my friends that are in banking. There's a lot of people that do it really purposefully and a lot of people that are really interested in that job, right? And find it remarkably interesting and stimulating. Um, and I had a lot of amazing experiences, particularly working at Accenture. Mm. Um, the one thing that I think is different just because, you know, I, I think is different in terms of, you know, being an entrepreneur versus working at a corporation is, um, you know, especially, you know, right coming out of college, being an analyst at one of these places, your work is kind of passed down to you. Whereas, and so that, so that means, you know, either you have way too much work, right? And you're working till 2 a.m. and you're just bombarded and it's, and it's horrible. Or you might not have enough work, right? 
and some people get a right, the right balance of how much work they want to have. But what I really like about, you know, the entrepreneur lifestyle is that, you know, the amount of things that I want to learn and what I want to learn, I can focus on those, right? Oftentimes I do have to do things that I don't like, right? It is work. And, you know, I think people underestimate how much work it really is. Um, but, you know, let's say, for instance, this morning, for instance, um, we're looking to do some different SEO stuff for our, our, uh, our business. And so, um, you know, just to explore down that path, I was introduced to a number of SEO people this morning. I talked to one of them um, who gave a lot of advice around what we should do for our SEO, how that should look, you know, is actually taking a look into our market in general to give us a deeper dive and understanding. And this is from an SEO expert that, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll work with in the future and, you know, will help us out with our SEO. But regardless, to be able to talk with these different experts um, in different, you know, areas that you're interested in, I think that's really unique to the entrepreneurial experience. Um, in corporate world, they have those experts, right? So if you're working at, let's say, a KPMG, another consulting firm, and you know, you're, you're looking into the auto market, so you know, you're gonna be able to call up a lot of the experts at KPMG in the auto market. They might have partners with other companies and things like that. Um, and so you, know, you will get to talk to other experts, um, but I've just personally found it to be a whole different world to you know, be able to say, you know, I'm a young guy trying to make it, um, do you mind having a call for 30 minutes? And almost everybody says yes. So, I mean, it's, I'm sure you've had this experience as well. You can just talk to anyone and everyone just kind of answers their email. <laughs> it's funny. I, um, I, yeah, I completely agree. I, I recently, um, had, I won't name it, um, her, but a big designer here in New York, um, PR reached out to me for the podcast and it was almost it was just surreal. I, I wasn't too sure what to even make of that. Once again, you know, you don't often have these people wanting to even give you the time of day if, you, you know, you're not going out on your own as a young entrepreneur. So I think they, yeah, I think there's such, there's a really re receptive um, kind of com community that we have, which is so, I feel so blessed and I think we are so blessed to have that. Um, and so it's really interesting that you say that because, yeah, recently a similar different but similar experience. Um, yeah, wow. So I'd also love to talk a bit more about um, just your other projects you're working on. So just to give everyone a bit of more of a background, um, Blake is a founder of one company, a co-founder of another, and the chief, chief marketing officer of another company, which is the one he's been talking about. Um, so I want to get into Nectar, which really caught my attention when I looked into it. You have this promo video and it's hilarious and I loved it. And I just thought I have to meet this guy. So talk to me a bit about that. Um, you came up with that July last year. How did that come about? Um, what is it about? And where sure. are you at now? Um, so Nectar has been a really interesting project. Um, it essentially came about through all of this positive psychology exploration. Uh, and the idea originally was, you know, we, we want, I wanted to figure out a way in which um, we could use technology in order to help people give more, right? Because my thought was, if giving makes you happy, so there should be, you know, a there should be an app for that, right? <laughs> um, of course. And you know, at the time, you know, and still, you know, the tinders of the world were getting really big, and so I thought this technology in particular could be really good for, you know, it, it's such a quick action, right? On Tinder, you're you're swiping right really fast, um, and you know what people are finding is that they're actually lonelier after using these technologies, right? So, um, you know, after you've swiped on 20 people, um, essentially what you've done is you, uh, people have, you know, you're looking at a physical person for those of you that haven't been on one of these apps, you know, you look some pictures of someone, maybe you have a little bit of info about them. And then you're saying, you know what, I like that person or I don't like that person, right? Um, which is kind of, you know, similar to the way that we meet people at a bar, right? Um, uh, you know, classically people say, don't meet your wife at a bar or your husband at a bar. Uh, I think it's a little more acceptable today maybe. Um, but I think, you know, we just relate to people in very different ways, right? Um, 
my parents, at least, they have they have uh, gym buddies, right? They have people that they're friends with. How are you friends with that person? Well, we go to the gym together. Oh, so like you plan that you're going to go to? No, no, no. Like I just see them at the gym, right? And a lot of people do interact like this, but I think on a large scale, that's kind of gone, right? We we have your headphones in, like like unless there's like a, maybe like someone doing like a glamour workout where they're like trying to show off that they're working out a little bit. Like, I don't even think those people are talking to other people at the gym. They're just kind of like looking at other people at the gym. But like, you know, for the most part, yeah, for the most part, like we have our headphones in, like, yeah. you know, you're like getting your exercise in and then you're going home. Right. And I think that's, you know, kind of a common phenomenon. Uh, you know, there's really interesting videos on the, on the internet of people, you know, filming from like the eighties and you can see like, everybody's just coming up to them. Like, what are you doing? Like, right. You have a camera. That's crazy. Like, let's be friends. Like they're making jokes. Right. Um, there was one in particular, like in a seven 11 at like 2 AM. If you find it on the internet, I forget what it's called, but it's the funniest thing to watch. Cause it's just so different than how we are. Now you see someone with a camera, people are like, don't film me. Right. <laughs> it's like very, I guess maybe, you know, because people are like, well, that's going to go everywhere. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's the difference, but you know, even still, you know, it's a, you know, kind of small picture into, you know, how interacting in our world has changed a lot. And so the original idea with Nectar was, you know, let's, you know, take this idea of using technology for giving, right? Let's get people hooked on giving and let, let's make that giving around, you know, helping people with these social interactions that have changed a lot over the years. Um, and so really what we ended up creating was a technology where you can introduce your friends. Um, so you go onto our app and it's kind of a Tinder like interface, right? So not really like Tinder, but um, you know, similar concept of swiping left and right. And, uh, two of your friends from Facebook would pop up on the screen and you could swipe right to introduce them or swipe left to see the next pair of people, right? The, just the fastest bit of giving to other people, making an introduction. Um, and you know, so that, you know, was really, really interesting. We ended up building three different versions of it, making a lot of mistakes along the way, learning a lot along the way. Um, and you know, Really, you know, in the end, we actually, you know, unfortunately, this is a very transitional time. Uh, but about a week and a half ago, or two weeks ago, we, you know, decided to press the pause button on Nectar um, and and really kind of take a break from, you know, these different things that we've been looking at and try to, you know, take a moment to think about, you know, what do these interactions look like? You know, what is the technology that we've built? Um, and then, you know, also just you know, take some more time to focus on some of the other projects that have been, you know, kind of ramping up a little bit more. For sure. I think I love that you are involved in different things, but you know when to pause and when to go full steam ahead. I think that in our society today, at least, you know, as millennials, there are sometimes we want to do, you know, we want to do everything. We've got our feet in five different pools. And, you know, at times I feel that even in my own personal experience that, you're not giving as much as you could to one area when you know, essentially because you know that you can't give as much, you're focusing on other things. So I think that's a really um, nice takeaway from what you're saying there. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. It's yeah. a beautiful sentiment. Mm. I think that's one of the things that, you know, like, again, I really, I really hope that I can implement that in my mm. life. <laughs> um, I hope there's like a, like a, almost like a blessing that you're giving me right now, but, <laughs> uh, that I can have that in my life because I, you know, I think that is something that's difficult and I think it's, it's a tough balance. And, and the reason that I think it's a, a really difficult balance is because, um, there's, uh, you know, and this is, is not in t at all something that I've perfected yet or fully understand, but you know, on the one hand, you really do want to focus on just one thing and, you know, crush that one thing and, you know, make it amazing because you really only need to succeed at one thing, right? Um, and, or at, at one time at least, you know. Um, but on the other hand, there's a lot of research about some of the, you know, most brilliant creative minds in the world. Um, you know, think like Thomas Edison is a great example, um, who... Uh, you know, they are really creating um, what seems like a million things at one time. And those are the times when they're most successful. So if you look at Thomas Edison, I think he had over uh, 100 different patents at around the same time as the light bulb. 
right? Wow. And these are completely like random things. I think one of them was like a talking doll, right? Like just completely random. It has yeah. nothing to do with what he's doing. Shakespeare, his the three plays of his that are I you know most commonly done. I think like one of them was like Hamlet, right? And maybe Macbeth are are, are written around the same time as his three worst plays. Right. Um, I think I think this actually is another Adam Adam Graham book that he he writes about this concept of originals. And and he really delves into this a little bit, how, you know, people who are really original, who are coming up with a lot of a lot of brilliant ideas. A lot of it is they're just coming up with a lot of ideas. Right. And and of those ideas, a few work. And so that's why I think, you know, I do think it's it's really useful to be working on a lot of things. And, you know, kind of like how we were talking about before with, you know, different traction channels, right? Doing multiple things at once and then deciding which one to focus on. I think that that, you know, kind of is part of the entrepreneurial lifestyle. I'm going to do probably too many things. Hopefully you can manage them, right? Uh, enough to notice which one is really succeeding and say, you know what, for now, at the least, I'm going to focus on that one. Um, and so hopefully that's what I'm doing right now. Um, but as with anything in the entrepreneurial world, um, until you hit, I guess, a metric that you have to have set for yourself ahead of time, um, you, you know, you're you're really like trying to move through the darkness until you see little bits of light. So true. It's so true. Great advice. Um, great. So we we might start to um, wrap, wrap up a little bit. So just because I'm conscious of time, but I could talk to you forever. <gasps> So this conversation is so interesting and I still have an, obviously another question to ask. So I think before I do ask it though, I just want to congratulate you on the awesome work you're doing. I think that there's definitely something something to say about, you know, you dipping your foot into different ponds and, and really seeing what works for you. Um, so my second last question to you would be, what does it feel like to be a young entrepreneur who's on their own time, who's dealing with challenges and problems and solving them um, and sometimes struggling to solve them? What does it feel like to, for you? I really don't know. It just kind of, it just kind of is right. Like at, at times it feels like a whirlwind, right? It feels like, I mean, yesterday when we were doing a photo shoot, I mean, I won't go into details about it, but you know, I think it w ended up really well, but you know, things just are hectic and things get hectic and everything that you think is not going to happen is going to happen, especially when it comes to people. Cause you like, as much as we want to, you know, control the people we're working with and, you know, have them do, you know, what we want them to do, people are people. And that's the beautiful thing about people is, you know, they have their own personalities and their own agendas and their own lives and their own things they want to do. Um, and that's amazing. Right. So, you know, I think, you know, kind of that whirlwind is kind of like almost one part of the feeling. And, um, you know, the other part of the feeling is, you know, I think there's a great sense of meaning to be had um, when, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, really build something with, you know, a purposeful concept behind it, right? Whether it's that, you know, the business that you're doing is really meaningful and personal and purposeful in itself, right? Whether you're donating to charities directly, like with social impact model, like we are with Brush on Smile or, um, you know, whether you're, you know, doing a technology like we were doing with Nectar where, you know, we're trying to help with a social problem, at least one that we, we see, um, you know, I think that's, that's one end of really, really meaningful work. Another end of really, really meaningful work is going out and trying to make a lot of money and then trying to give a lot to a lot of other people. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, if you really work on yourself, right, whether, whether it is, you know, having a lot of money or just being a person that is more mindful, more compassionate, whatever it may be that you're, you know, really working on yourself, you'll have more things to give to other people. Um, you know, and I, I really think that when it comes down to it, that's the thing that's going to make us the happiness. And that's the thing that's going to give us the most meaning in our lives. Wow. I love that. Thank you so much for that. I, um, this conversation has been so thought provoking and incredibly insightful, um, as I thought it would be. Um, but my last question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Pierce Project. And that is, what is the, 
what do you think is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think that the value is in spending the time that we have on this planet, right? How insignificant it is if you look relative to the the great span of time itself, spending that time in, you know, the way that you want to spend it, right? And I don't mean like in a YOLO way of like, you know, let's um, drink and party because if that's your way, that's absolutely fine. But, you know, in just recognizing that, we really only have today once. And so, you know, whether I'm planning for 98 years more or, 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 or less than that, however, you know, old you may be or old you may think you may come to be, you know, taking today and saying, I'm going to make the most out of it. Um, and, you know, I'm going to make the decision of what I'm going to do with today. And I'm really going to run with it and, you know, stay mindful, stay compassionate and, you know, try to, maximize my ability to give to other people or give to other people in that day. And I think that that is the thing that, you know, making, makes having control over, you know, what your days look like and, you know, being an entrepreneur really, really meaningful and really impactful. Well, thank you so much, Blake. It's been a pleasure and I've learned personally learned so much from our conversation today. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, you know, feel free, you know, if anyone wants to reach out, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, or, you know, you can, you know, find, uh, the company that I'm currently really focusing on and putting a lot of love and energy behind at brushonsmile.com and feel free to reach out there. Perfect. Amazing. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>